Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verses 2 through 11. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using the question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to cast a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Charlie, for the scripture lesson. And thank you so much, Brian, for the beautiful song this morning. We're truly a blessing. We have been blessed already in so many wonderful ways in the service. And we give thanks to God. And now, as we have heard his word read to us, let us seek its understanding for our life. Will you join me in a moment of prayer? God, we thank you for the offerings of beautiful music and song and and the time of people offering their resources and uh, their abilities for this service. We do it all, God, to seek to glorify you. And now we ask that you would help us to open our hearts and our minds to receive your word to us. Help us in our understanding of it. Help me to deliver it for your glory, God. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we're continuing in a series of sermons about God's grace. During the season of Lent, uh, which is a time that we examine our lives in light of what Jesus did for us on the cross. During this time, we are taking an in-depth look at what the Bible teaches us about God's grace. Because grace is really what the cross was all about. And we cannot experience the fullness and the true joy of the Christian life until we come to really understand and experience God's amazing grace. And the best place to find examples of God's grace is in the stories and the teachings of Jesus. For the Gospel, John says, the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so today we're going to look at a story that comes from the life of Jesus, and it's a story that uh, many uh, considered in the early times of the church, they considered this to be a rather scandalous story. So much so that some scholars actually censored it. I mean, in many of your Bibles, there's a pretty good chance that you've got a little notation next to this passage that says something like this. Many early manuscripts do not contain John chapter 7, verse 53, through chapter 8, verse 12. And that's because some scholars apparently believe that this story 
somehow uh, was presented a, a lenient attitude toward immoral behavior, especially given what was going on in the Roman world in that day. I mean, in the Roman world, immorality was running rampant. Uh, many times um, their world made Las Vegas and New Orleans look like Mayberry. Uh, so it just was a, a really rough place. And the early Christian leaders said, given in this context, if we give the impression that adultery is something that you can just wave off and um, ignore, like Jesus apparently did in the story, then people would never take holiness seriously. Uh, we talked about this last week a little bit, how some people are very uncomfortable with the idea that God's grace is given freely to all, even the most undeserving. There are a lot of people who would like to put conditions on God's grace so that people felt like they had to try to live more holier lives in order to get God's grace. And just like many people today, people back then often approach God's grace asking the question, how much can I sin and get away with and still get to heaven? <laughs> So some were afraid that this story would actually encourage sinful living. And so that's why they tried to censor it. Uh, I mean, if Jesus lets this woman off for adultery, I really don't have to worry about my little sins, do I? And again, this is why they had often, some of them would censor this and exclude it from their manuscripts. And I get that. Uh, it's always been difficult for people to really grasp the concept of God's grace. When it comes to the unlimited nature of God's grace, there are many people who it's only natural to ask, well then what would prevent us from abusing God's grace? If that's the way it is. And I'm sure there are some who live with that attitude. But you know what? I've never met a Christian who doesn't take advantage of God's grace to some degree. <laughs> I mean, really, uh, maybe not the sin of adultery, <laughs> um, but certainly with other sins. I mean, I know of people who break the law every time they get behind the wheel of their car. And if you press them on it, they would say, yeah, speeding, uh, going over the speed limit is uh, breaking the law, so I guess it's a sin, but they're clearly not too worried about it. <laughs> and I know of people who sin every time they get on the phone or have a conversation with their friends. They know that gossiping and talking bad about others is, is a sin, and yet clearly they're not too worried about it. <laughs> They know that speaking harshly to their spouse or to their children is wrong, but they just assume that God's going to kind of overlook those things. I know people who sin every time they punch the clock at their job. I mean, they, they rob their employer by uh, spending time on Facebook while they're on the clock or by using the postal meter for personal mail or something like that. Uh, uh, they rob clients of um, things by cutting corners. And they justify it by saying, you know, it's just business. Everybody does it. Again, I've rarely met anyone who would be so bold as to test the mercy of God when it comes to adultery. But I do know number, numerous people who don't give a second thought to other kinds of sins. And I'm talking about the sins of dishonesty, the sin of, of greed and gossip and materialism and selfishness or pride, uh, bitterness, you know, on and on the list could go. And so there is a principle here that I think is taught in this story that we really must take hold of. And that is that in order to truly experience God's grace, we must learn to take sin seriously. Now, I know that's a term, that's a word that we don't like to talk about very much. 
Even there are those who think that it's kind of an archaic, outdated type of word in our world today. But the truth is, we cannot experience the fullness of God's grace in our life until we turn to take sin seriously. And in today's world, I don't think the problem is that we are in danger of becoming too strict when it comes to God's grace. Although there are those who, as we talked about last week, try to make Christianity all about keeping the rules. I get that. But the real problem is that we're in danger of becoming too lax, especially when it comes to our own sins. Now, we don't have a problem when it comes to seeing the sins of others, do we? Uh, you know, and that's, as Jesus said, it's easy for us to see the speck in other people's eyes and not see the log in our own eye. And when it comes to God's grace, we're much more concerned, it seems, about how others might be taking advantage of God's grace than how we're taking advantage of it. And if you're one of those people who is more apt to point the fingers of judgment toward others, then you need to ask yourself some of those simple questions. How is your driving? <laughs> you know, how is your thought life? How are you talking to your spouse or your children? How are you dedicated to your job? You see, before worrying about uh, whether or not others are taking advantage of God's grace, we, we need to look at our own lives and examine our own situations. Whereas Romans says, Paul's words in Romans chapter 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and that includes us. Again, in order to experience the fullness and the, the, the true measure of God's grace in your life, you have to take sin seriously. And this is something I think is pointed out in this story that we have before us today. We've, we've already heard the text read to us. You know what the story is about. So let's seek its understanding of what it teaches us about what it means to take guilt and grace seriously. Here's the first thing I think we learned from this story. When it comes to you and your sin, you stand alone. Alone. Now, when I read this story... There's something that jumps out about to the, in this story to me, first off the bat. I mean, there's a real injustice in this story. Because the woman who was brought to Jesus because of adultery is brought to Jesus alone. She's by herself. Something, or, or rather someone, is missing from this picture, isn't it? Because it takes two to commit adultery. And the Old Testament law referenced here by her accusers specifically states that both the man and the woman, uh, if they're caught in active adultery, are to be executed. But where's the man? I mean, it's like you got off scot-free here or something, it looks like, because the accusers only bring the woman. And here I think, you know, it shows the real hypocrisy of the religious leaders of that day and time, how they chose to condemn one and not the other. And, of course, the one they chose to condemn was the one who was the weaker and more vulnerable of that society. Uh, this is often the case in self-righteous religionists, I guess. You've seen it over and over. But there's also a terrifying truth that is a part of this story. When it comes to sin, specifically when it comes to your sin, you stand absolutely alone before God. Maybe this woman wanted to say, hey, wait a minute. What about the guy that I was with? I mean, he's the one who talked me into this. Uh, and I didn't do this alone. Uh, he, 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 it was all his idea. I shouldn't be here alone. This is not fair. And she would have been right to say that. 
But guess what? The terrible truth about sin is that regardless of who was involved, you stand alone before God. There are no excuses to be made. There's no one to shift the blame to. We all come to the point where we have to take responsibility for our own actions. Because ultimately, we all stand alone when it comes to judgment before God. It's like the woman who, who got in an automobile accident. Uh, she was going into an intersection and the oncoming car had the right of way and plowed into her because she went out in front of it. And so the police come and they assess the situation, they take the statements and they determine that she was at fault and they write her a ticket. But she protested and she challenged in court this ticket saying, it wasn't my fault and I can prove it. The man who was driving the other vehicle had an expired license. And so he had no business being behind the wheel. I mean, if he had not been breaking the law by driving with an expired license, he would not have been on the road that day to be able to hit me in the intersection. So this can't be my fault. I'm not to be blamed. I'm the victim of his lawlessness. <laughs> it's an interesting spin, isn't it? <laughs> well, she was convinced that she was absolutely right about this. Of course, that's not how the judge saw it. Uh, she ended up paying the fine, paying the court costs, and taking a big hit on her, her uh, insurance premiums. But I really think there's a lesson for us to learn here when it comes to life. When it comes to our sins, we must stand alone. We must take full responsibility for our part, our action, and whatever's going on. No blaming others, no excuses. But when it comes to judgment before God, God's not interested in what everybody else did. The truth is, many times, we're not as interested in receiving forgiveness as we are in hearing that we're not at fault. That somebody else is to blame. That we did nothing wrong. And people with that kind of attitude never really experience God's grace in their life because they never take responsibility for their part. Again, in order to experience God's grace, we must take our sins seriously. And that means we must take responsibility for our part, our actions in it. So here's the second thing I think we learned from this story is that your sin... First and foremost, is a matter between you and God. Now, there's another wonderful story in the Bible that kind of gives us an example of God's grace and our guilt and sin. And it's the story of uh, King David. Remember that after King David committed murder and adultery with Bathsheba, he writes in his psalm of repentance, Against you, you only, O God, have I sinned. And that word only has always puzzled me. Because what about the woman that he committed adultery with? What about the, the man that he killed? Surely he sinned against them too, didn't he? Of course he did. When you read this phrase, you need to understand what David is ultimately trying to say here. He's not saying that I didn't do any wrong to Uriah. I didn't do any wrong to Bathsheba. What he's acknowledging here is that these wrongs were ultimately a disobedience and rebellion against God. In that day and time, when it came to the authority of kings, uh, there was a lot of gray area um, when it came to what was right and what was wrong. Because it could have been argued that the king, he's the ultimate authority in his kingdom, so any woman is his to have. Any life is his life to take. But David acknowledged that that's not the case. 
He acknowledged that he was subject to the law of God. So it was God's law that he ultimately disobeyed and broke here. And it's really no different for us. I'll make a little confession here. I, um, there have been times in my own life where I have done things that were wrong. And yet my main concern was trying to smooth it over with everybody around me. Uh, I, I, didn't, I, I didn't take the fact that my relationship with God or my um, spiritual life was suffering because of my sin. Uh, setting things straight with God was not nearly as important to me as trying to make sure that everybody uh, liked me again. Anybody here identify with that? Can relate to that? <laughs> Surely. Uh, and I, to be sure, reconciling with others is, is important, and we must do that. But as David shows us, our relationship with God is first and foremost. The same was true for this woman who was brought before Jesus. The urgent matter in this woman's life was not um, how she stood in front of her accusers, but rather how she would ultimately stand before God. And when it comes to our sin, there's always going to be people who are going to make accusations against us or, or make charges against us. And they may, maybe they're right, maybe they're wrong. Maybe they're fair and maybe they're out of line. Maybe um, they'll forgive you or maybe they'll continue to condemn you. Either way, your status with them is secondary. Because, as this woman learned, the most important thing is how we deal with the sin that is separating us and is between us and God. That is what matters most. I had a friend, she's still a friend, who was the treasurer of a church that I served many years ago. And uh, she married a man who was a member of the founding family of that church. And she, she was the treasurer. And the um, problem is she got in debt. And um, it became a real problem for her. And she started taking money from the church funds. By the time we discovered it, she had taken several thousand dollars. And you know, she was perilously close to being actually put in jail. She could have been, but the church and the family decided to uh, let her to make restitution for this over time. And, of course, she was embarrassed. Her, uh, her family, his family was embarrassed. Uh, it's a very small community, and you know how the news travels. Everybody knew what was going on. And after visiting with her several weeks later, she said to me, I just can't bear to look at my mother-in-law. I have so disappointed her. I know she will never forgive me. And I said to her, did you steal from your mother-in-law? And she said, no. I said, did you do any wrong to her? Did you take advantage of her in any way? And she goes, no, I, I just shamed her. And, and I betrayed the trust of everybody. And I said, well, I understand that you feel bad about you know, embarrassing and betraying uh, your mother-in-law. But you need to understand who is really a part of the story. Your, um, your sin and your forgiveness is really a matter between you and God. Whether or not your mother-in-law forgives you, I mean, that's her choice to make. But your sin and your forgiveness is really between you and God. In the story that we have here today, the, all the men, the people that were around this woman with stones ended up dropping their stones and walking away. Well, we can look at many other stories in the Bible and find that 
people who were wrongful accusers didn't drop their stones. And they continued to condemn. That's the painful reality of life and of people. But every believer needs to understand that when it comes to your forgiveness, that is really a matter ultimately between you and God. The opinion, the accusations, the judgments, and the condemnation of others, those are only secondary, primarily, if it's between you and God. And as we see in this story, you know, others may seek to condemn and refuse to forgive you. But God never does. In order to experience God's grace, though, you have to take sin seriously. And the good news is that when you do take your sin seriously, when you come to God and you you confess who you are and what you've done to God, God promises, just like Jesus did, He will wash you clean of your sins through His grace. To be sure, there are going to be those who may try to torture you with their refusal to forgive you. But when you know that you've experienced the full and complete forgiveness of God, you know, their attempts to make you feel guilty and to keep you beat down become less effective. Now again, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be concerned about when you hurt others. I mean, if you've hurt somebody, you should do everything in your power to make restitution, to try to reconcile with that person. But you also need to remember that it is God's forgiveness that empowers you to be able to do that, not trying to seek the approval of others. So when it comes to our sin, we stand alone. Uh, You have to accept your responsibility for your action, not focus on the actions of others. And first and foremost, sin is a matter between you and God. And your forgiveness and God's mercy is a matter between you and God. So you seek that first. And it is that that empowers you to move on in your life and to deal with others. And thirdly, when it comes to our sin, you never have the luxury of ignoring your sin. I don't really know why there are those who think that Jesus is being too easy or soft on sin here. Because Jesus said, I mean, if he would have said, you know, I don't condemn you, now go on and have a good day. I think we could interpret that. He's kind of blowing this off and not taking this sin seriously. But that's not what he said. Instead, he uses a phrase that absolutely terrified me the first time I heard it. In verse 11, he says, go and sin no more. That's how the King James Version puts it. The uh, New Revised Standard Version has Jesus saying, Go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. <laughs> now, if you took what Jesus is saying here seriously, that's, a, that's quite intimidating. Uh, go and sin no more. I don't know about you, but I can barely make it to lunch without messing up in, in some way or feeling like I've come short of God's glory in some way. This idea of never sinning again, that's mission impossible. And that's why I love how the New International Version is he has Jesus say, go and leave your life of sin. I think that helps us to understand a little bit more what Jesus is saying here. He wasn't saying, I'm not going to condemn you today, but this is your last chance. <laughs> if you don't live perfectly from this point on, if you sin again next month or next year, then I'm going to take it all back. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, we both know that what you did was wrong. But I'm not going to condemn you today. Instead, I'm giving you the chance to start a new life. 
I'm giving you the chance to begin again, to live in a new way. It's not that Jesus is being soft on sin. This woman was paying the consequences for her sin. As it says in verse 2, all the people of the town gathered to witness this. Can you imagine? Jesus wasn't being soft on sin. Rather, he was offering her his grace so that she might be redeemed. So that she might respond to his mercy and leave her life of sin. Now, there's some scholars who believe that this woman that was put before Jesus that day was actually Mary Magdalene. It was the one who would later stand next to Mary at the cross. And he would become a very influential leader within the early Christian church. And if that's the case, then she left her life of sin. And God redeemed her life in a beautiful way. And that's the power of God's grace. But in order to experience that grace, she first had to take her sin. Seriously, she had to deal with that. And so do we. We never have the luxury of ignoring our sin. It always amazes me how some people think that God can be outsmarted when it comes to his grace and his forgiveness. Uh, Some people are so worried that other people they see sinning are going to somehow get away with their sins. That they're going to be able to find some theological loophole and use it as a way to uh, live a life of unrestrained sin and just not ever pay any consequences. <laughs> I think it's as if they think someone's going to be able to stand before God someday and quote some scriptures and God's going to shrug his shoulders and say, oh, you got me on that one. You found the loophole. Uh, there's St. Peter. Uh, here's the, here, he's got the deed to your mansion. <clears throat> there are some people who are just a little too worried about someone or someone other than them getting away with their sinful behavior. But you need to know, that's not how things work with God. God is gracious with his mercy. He's he's abundant in his forgiveness and his love. But God is no fool. We've all seen children who know how to work their parents by turning on a few tears and getting their way. And we see parents who seem to be oblivious to what they're trying to do. But that's not God. Uh, No one can trick God into forgiving them through some insincere display of remorse. So you don't have to worry about someone else getting away with their sins. As it says in Romans 12, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room to the wrath of God. For it is written, I will repay. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So we don't have to worry about other people. But we also don't need to kid ourselves into thinking we're going to get away with it either. The phrase, go and sin no more. Go and leave your life of sin tells us exactly what Jesus expects of us. Grace isn't about getting permission to ignore your sins. Grace is about getting another chance to get it right. The truth is we're all like this woman who was brought before Jesus. We have all sinned. We're all guilty. We are surrounded by our sin. And we stand alone when it comes to judgment before God. But do you know how God deals with our guilt and our sin? He says, I do not condemn you to a life of guilt, shame, or to even death. Rather, go and leave your life of sin. I'm giving you a chance for a better tomorrow. And so, 
I encourage you today to take hold of God's grace. Bring that you can't experience God's grace and what He did for you on the cross until you take sin seriously. And the good news is that when we do take our sin seriously, God pours His grace out upon us. He forgives us. He washes us clean. He gives us a chance to make a new beginning. Isn't that what we all long for? Let's pray together. God, as we come and we hear these words today about your grace, we see how, Lord, we were, just like everybody else, we struggle with it. We try to find ways around it. We think it applies to everybody else but us. And not like this woman, Lord. This is our story. We stand before you today hoping, trusting, believing that you're going to speak those words of grace to us. And yet you know our hearts. You know whether we're serious or not. Whether we're truly about repenting and leaving our life of sin or not. Regardless of what choice we make, Lord, we know this. That you love us so much that you were willing to die for us on that cross. And may that love, may that grace call us home. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We come to our closing hymn. The time when we open.